This week on the RailSplitter podcast, we have a couple interesting Lincoln news items to tell you guys about. And we are also going to talk about Arizona and the Civil War, as well as Lincoln's connection to Arizona. Welcome to the Rail Splitter Podcast, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. I am your host, Rail Splitter Mary, and joining me are my two awesome co-hosts, Rail Splitter Jeremy. Hey, hey, how's everybody doing? And Rail Splitter Nick. What up, Rail Split Nash? To all you Midwesterners, you know, Northern uh, American people out there raking your leaves that time of year, enjoy it. Wear gloves so you don't get blisters on your hands. That's a pro tip, pro tip. I like it. Wonderful introduction. Thank you. Um, so you might have noticed that we took last week off. Uh, life sometimes gets busy for us, um, but we are back with you this week. Um, and we've got some interesting news stories to tell you guys about. Um, so the first one, actually, they're both to do with the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. And the hat came back in the news recently. Um, I think you guys will probably remember us talking about the very controversial hat, which was part of a larger collection that the museum um, acquired a few years ago. And I think the hat was value had a value of like $6.5 million or something as part of this collection. Rip off. (laughs) Apparently that may be true. Um, because there's, you know, even if it is Lincoln's hat, that's a ridiculous amount of money for a hat. I, I'm just going to state, it, it I don't is. care if the, you know, if Jesus himself wore, that is way too long. Well, some people, of course, wouldn't say, well, that's impossible. But anyways, um, you know, that's too much for a hat. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's quite a bit of money. Um, but anyway, so there, it came back in the news again because they were going to have some more stuff done to it to determine if it was authentic. And a most recent article from October 1st from the Chicago Sun-Times, uh, the headline is, Not a shred of evidence is Lincoln's hat was Lincoln's hat. And it's quite critical of the museum and just how they've been saying that it you know, it could be Lincoln's hat and they put it on display and it's the, it's the provenance of the hat that remains an open question and they still had it on display. And the Chicago sometimes is arguing that they shouldn't have had it on display if the provenance is questionable. Um, now, Mary, you worked at a museum. Mm-hmm. Is this like the biggest no-no you can make when handling artifacts or? It's not real, like... If you know something is definitely belonged to some something, then yes, you can say it. But there was, in a f- the few of the museums I've worked in, if there was a questionable provenance behind it, um, you could change the wording to say, this person would have worn a hat like this. Um, we're not sure if it is their hat. It could have been. And then you can actually, you know, from there you can go on and say, like, teach people something about, you know, what provenance is and how important it is 
with these older art, like, you know, artifacts that you don't really know, especially when they're connected to a famous person. So yeah, it's not good in. I now, boys, think... you've been at the, sorry, I keep interrupting you. Mary. Okay. <laughs> now you've been at the museum more than, you know, both of us combined. Have you ever seen it on display? I have. You know? I have. Do you know the wording they use when they displayed it? Just out of curiosity. Uh, I don't know the exact wording, but I will say that nothing about it led me to believe anything other than it was his hat. Okay. Um, I, if I remember correctly, they kind of tell a story of how it came into the collection. Um, but they definitely even note like there are two worn fingerprints on the brim of the hat. Uh, that they say is consistent with the way that he would, you know, tip his hat always in the same way um, when he was passing ladies, you know, on the street, as was customary at the time. Um, so I remember seeing the hat and being moved by it and thinking it was just this amazing thing. And, you know, oh, man, or just just a plate of glass between me and a hat worn by Abraham Lincoln himself. Um, so. Yeah, I can't recall if they were like, this is definitively, you know, I don't think they said this is like definitively his hat. Um, I do think that they acknowledged, you know, like they were careful with their wording, I think. Um, but it, it definitely, I, I didn't really think like, oh, this may not be his hat. I kind of read it to mean it's accepted as his hat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people you know, if you see it on display and it's at the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library Museum, you're going to accept it as being his hat. Um, another article that came out, um, this one was from late in September, um, Hat Trick. State historian finds no evidence Lincoln ever wore museum's $6.5 million treasured artifact. So there seems to be definitely more in tipping towards that it wasn't his hat. It seems yeah. like. Didn't the governor get involved? I can't remember the news. He article. he did. So so what happened is Alan Lowe, who was um he was recently fired. Um he was the director of the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library Museum. He was recently fired. It turns out that in June he had talked to the governor and brought up the hat again that he'd had this discussion with the state historian. Um And he said to him, it appears from my discussions with the state historian that he and his team have found no evidence confirming that the hat belonged to President Lincoln, which is what Lowe wrote to Deputy Governor Jesse um, Rios. I'm going to butcher that last name. Um, And that was from June 5th. And he went, Lowe went on to say, this does not mean that evidence does not exist, but the efforts of our team have been very thorough. We have, we all hope that something definitive would be found, but thus far, that is not the case. And um, as I said before, the hat was part of a $25 million treasure trove purchased by the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library Museum. And the hat came back out again last year because the museum w- or the, the foundation, I think it was, was needing help to pay off this loan that it had taken out to purchase these items. And now that loan due this year. Yes. I think it is. I haven't heard anything about that. I wonder what, I wonder what all that means. Yeah, and in this one article, it goes on to say that Lowe said the foundation had blocked Wheeler's hat probe by rejecting efforts to have a textile expert evaluated on site to determine what era the hat dates from. You know what I think they should do? They have that, you know, that, uh, what is it called, like the traveling exhibit? Mm-hmm. 
that's always changing there. They should do something with like this hat and like use it as like a teaching teachable moment. Maybe put it on display. You could probably do something really cool with it, mm-hmm. like use it as a way to educate how you try to you know authenticate um, artifacts. Yes, I think there's some potential there. Um, I don't think they'll do this, um, but I think it could be a cool exhibit and just like use it as a teachable moment. Mm-hmm. Be real, I think it could be a lot of potential there. Oh, I completely agree with you, and I think that's a that's a great idea because, and again, it is like it's exactly like a hat that Lincoln would have worn. They just don't know for sure. It seems that it that it is his hat. But yeah, definitely something teachable to explain, okay, this is, you know, what we've done and what we're, you know, what else we could do for it and all that. Um, but yeah, it, it's, sad, it's sad that it's become so controversial and that I think maybe politics got involved with it, which when you have a big name like Abraham Lincoln and, you know, a museum that is funded by the, I think it is funded by the government, right? Um, some of it, where it's run by the state. Oh, yeah, it's run by the state. Yeah, yeah the state. I don't know how much money they actually get, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's definitely newly under the state's uh, authority or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sometimes when politics gets involved, that can complicate things too, which is sad. I just hope there's like something po- like you know, something positive to come out of all this because the, the Presidential Library and Museum really is um, – a, a wonderful place to visit and they have many amazing artifacts there. Mm-hmm. No. And I, I think I saw a poll not too long ago. They were like, what has like the most credibility and they had like museums and they have like media teachers. I forget like all the different institutions mm-hmm. and museums were like the cream of the crop, like well over 90%. So I, there's a huge importance, especially in this day and age with so much misinformation that these museums get stuff right. Yeah, and get this clarified. So I, I think it's a big issue, and I think in a lot of ways it, it should be, um, because they're one of the few institutions in America that actually has credibility on its mm-hmm. side. Unfortunately, um, so hopefully they get it figured out. Yeah, it's it didn't really say like what else they could possibly to do to determine it, but it seems like the consensus is that this was not it's likely was not his hat. So they probably don't want to say one hundred percent that it was his hat it seems to me like it's kind of a strange thing to fixate on because like Mm -hmm. you know any number of documents that could be up to debate like is this was this document actually written by lincoln was it written you know there's and there's a lot of those did lincoln actually write this Mm -hmm. um and and a lot of those documents and writing samples have an impact on history and may inform us a little bit or give us a glimpse a little bit into Abraham Lincoln. This does none of those things. Like it, it doesn't really seem to provide like when, when they, if they can make a determination, clearly this was or was not his hat other than the value of the hat itself. I don't see a whole lot coming out of it other than like, Oh, okay. You know, like, yeah. Um, you know, it's it like, it, it just, it, you know, it doesn't really, I mean, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because it does, but like, you know, not in a real historical context. Like I can see a whole lot of people who are really into Lincoln being like, who cares mm-hmm. if it's his hat or not? 
and the amount of resources and press, like of all the things Lincoln, this is getting a ton of press. I mean, yeah. we're talking about it on the show and I think it's appropriate for us to talk about it on the show, but man, there's so much in that collection that just is so rich and, yeah. and interesting. Now that said, when I saw it in the museum, I was like, Oh, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to see his hat. Um, and you know, now I feel like I, you know, learned about Santa Claus or something, you know, it's like, you know, all right, it was fun. I still had the magic. Mm-hmm. I still had the feeling. So it did, you know, I did, I'm not going to lose how that felt. Yeah. Um, even though now I find out it's probably, it was probably not legit, but yeah, it just seems like an awful lot of hullabaloo and resources over something that's not going to provide any insight into Lincoln aside from the dis particular object may not have belonged to him yeah yeah and there are and i'm not saying it's not important you know it is important but there mm-hmm. you know there have been there are other authenticated hats one of them is at the smithsonian i've seen it before it's an amazing artifact to see but to me um like like you say jeremy there's other things in that that collection and um one thing that you hit on was lincoln's words too like the library has so many of his words and a lot of what he said is is completely timeless. And to me, that's the more important thing to focus on what we can learn from him through his words. The artifacts are wonderful as well. Like seeing his shaving mirror, that was a huge thing for me at the museum to be able to look into something that he looked into every single day. Um, you know, and the, the thing about this is like, I hope it doesn't bring the museum a whole lot of bad press to the point where people are calling into question other artifacts they have because that's not good either. Like this is just one thing out of a whole bunch of things that they know in that collection were Lincoln's. I mean, it's like the saying goes, if a research says it's not a hat, the DNA says it's not a hat, then it's not Lincoln's hat. (laughs) I think that's the saying. Yes. Did Lincoln say that? Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to make a meme and put it on Twitter. So therefore people do believe You heard it here first. Just for the record, I was sitting on that for about five minutes. And then I butchered it, actually, of how I wanted to say it when I said it. So, (laughs) But anyway, so yes, the hat was back in the news. But we actually do have some actually very positive news to tell you guys about regarding the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library Museum. Um, Before we leave that, guys, do you have anything else to say about the hat? Anything you want to add? Nope. Okay. Other than I tip my big hat to all of y'all. That's you're in good. You're in dad mode. You must have just ate dinner with your kids. So. Uh, I didn't. Uh, Wednesdays they go to Culver's and then we eat at home. So, oh. dang man, yeah, you guys are missing out. What the hell, are you guys? Are? It's between piano and swimming, so it's quite an exciting evening in the household. Yeah. <laughs> so let's hear what other fake artifacts they just got. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> Not all rail splitters agree with that opinion. <laughs> I think it goes without saying that unless we explicitly say we agree with Nick, I think most listeners are like, they probably disagree with Nick. <laughs> um, anyway, so this news article, I came upon it yesterday. Um, Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum receives book collection of famed biographer Benjamin Thomas. Um, Benjamin Thomas was a Lincoln biographer who he um, was born in 1902 and he died in 1956. Um, he wrote um, quite a few books about Lincoln. Um, he wrote a biography about Stanton and he wrote one called Three Years with Grant. 
which I'm guessing is probably about General Grant. Um, he wrote one about Lincoln's New Salem, um, Lincoln's humor and other essays. And so the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library Museum has received a book collection that's more than 130 books once owned by him. And it's saying, this article says, it could be a goldmine for Lincoln scholars, as many of the works contain the author's handwritten comments, observances, and notations. And the books were donated by the Lincolnland Community College Library, and Thomas's widow gave the books to the school's library before her death in 1999. And um, the State Journal Register reports that the museum's chief of acquisitions, Ian Hunt, accepted the collection this week during a ceremony at the school. And Thomas actually lived in Springfield from 1932 until his death in 1956. So that's a pretty cool acquisition for them, um, especially when it's got like, I think it's it's always interesting. I go in, um, I love going and looking at antiques and that includes like really old books. And I love finding books where people have written in them because it's interesting to see their thoughts, especially if it's a biography about somebody or, you know, a book about the Civil War. I love seeing their notes in there because it just provides you, might give you more insight into something. So that's really cool. No, yeah. agreed. Yeah, Go I ahead, agree. Boys. No, I was just going to say I agree. It's there's, it's a very unique experience um, to be able to kind of get a glimpse into through someone else's eyes in a in a small way. Mm-hmm. So to by be- the way, it's Ian Hunt, awesome guy. We saw him speak. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, he, he is. Did, so. Yeah, he uh, he he spoke in a really difficult situation at the Abraham Lincoln's Presenters Conference, and I gave him I gave him tons of credit for for stepping in and doing that. That was awesome. I tip my stovetop hat to him. Hey, that's my line. Okay, go ahead. That, no, we can all tip. You're Let's, not allowed. Maybe that'll be, be a new rail splitter thing. Like we tip the top hats that we don't yes. wear. So that's to folks. I, when I say my hat, I don't really mean my hat. Just the one that I pretend is my hat. Right, yeah. like The one you pretend it, to wear. There are hairs in it that you could do a DNA analysis of yeah. to verify that it, 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 it's probably not my hat. It's yeah. not my hat. Although... <laughs> You could buy it for five million and say it's my hat, and I will never question you. Yeah, there you go. Someday it'll be in a museum, Nick. Rail splitter, Nick's hat. One of my hats that are sweaty as all get out. <laughs> well, then they can do DNA analysis and make sure it was your hat. My hat's a sweat collector. That's about it. That's the main reason <laughs> I wear it. Anyway, so a very cool new acquisition for the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. Uh, any further comments, gentlemen? No. Uh, no. Okay. Always cool when they get new stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, And they're always getting stuff. Yes. they. Yeah, they would probably get stuff on a daily basis taken to them. Um, anyway, so we're going to move on to the next part of our episode, which uh, Nick was in Arizona a few weeks ago for, it was a film fest, right? Yep. Yeah, I did a project with some former students um, where we interviewed a lady. Well, actually, two ladies. It was kind of out of a friendship between two ladies, one of them growing up in Germany during World War II, uh, lost her father in the war. Her family was against the Nazi Party. Um, and then she had a couple um, broken marriages, just overcame a lot. Both of them did. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a about their friendship. We were lucky enough to get into the Jerome Indy film and music festival 
uh, which is out in Jerome, Arizona, which is an abandoned mining town. I believe at its peak, it was the fourth largest city in Arizona. Um, so they were mining, I think, gold, silver, and copper out of those hills there. So this is like in northern Arizona, about half hour, 45 minutes away from Sedona area. So a beautiful area. Um, definitely a lot cooler than mainland Phoenix. Um, before I dive into like the Civil War stuff, I did see a great movie. And I need to reach out to this director to try to get him on the show. So one of the films I watched was Raising Buchanan. And it's about this lady who basically down on her luck, uh, not doing very well financially. Somehow she comes across James Buchanan's skeleton. Um, basically it's like being shipped somewhere. So then they steal it while it's at like the holding place. Um, and then the goal is to sell it and to get all this money because they think it's a living, like a, you know, a president's body. Um, but they can't sell it at all uh, because nobody <laughs> wants James Buchanan. And I was thinking, damn it, man, they should have made this raising Fillmore because it would have been a lot better. Um, no, but it was pretty funny in there. And they did mention Fillmore as one of the worst presidents, too. So I enjoyed it more. Um, it was pretty well done. It was pretty funny. And I guess the same director did like a mockumentary on Lincoln. So I need to find that on YouTube uh, and look it up. So. That'd be and cool. Then, but um, yeah, so that was one of many films that we saw there that were pretty neat. That's awesome. Very cool. So you're going to tell us about the Civil War in Arizona, which is actually the extreme Western theater of the Civil War. Yeah, the far west. It's the far west. Yeah, so a lot of times when I travel, I don't know if you guys are the same now, but because of this podcast, I'm always like, oh, I wonder if there's any Lincoln connections here. Yes. Uh, so I usually like do a little Google search, see if there's like a monument or something. And then I kind of just came across, you know, Arizona, Lincoln. Um, there's a, some connection there. Um, but then it really got me thinking about the far west of the United States. So, you know, when we're talking to Western theater, we're talking usually, you know, um, where Grant spends the most of his time at the beginning of the war. Um, gosh, what would the states even be? Missouri? Um, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Tennessee. Tennessee was like the far west, wasn't it? Yeah, it was yeah, getting it was, on the yeah. cusp of yeah. being. It, it's Tennessee. Not the far can, west, but the western theater. Yeah, Tennessee yeah. is the western theater. Yeah, anywhere yeah. basically like Vicksburg, Shiloh, Chickamauga, Battles for Chattanooga, um, March the Sea, Atlanta, Kennesaw Mountain, all that. That's all western theater. Yep. So got me thinking about it. So the far west. For people who maybe don't know, I mean, pretty much all the area was under the U.S. umbrella, although the vast majority were still territories. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had California and Oregon were states, and Nevada will become a state in 1864. Um, and there is importance to this. From a union standpoint, you know, it, it's kind of part of the funding for the war. As mm-hmm. we know, especially this day and age, war costs money. California had a lot of gold. Uh, Nevada, there was silver out there. Um, so from a union standpoint, it was kind of, you know, the the chest, the gold chest, I guess, uh, to use to keep funding the war. So it was extremely important from that standpoint. The Confederates also saw it for a chance uh, for gold and silver, obviously for financing. But they also saw it as an opportunity to gain access to a trade border Um, because what you saw with the blockade that's going on, um, it was really causing fits for them. So at a point they were 
semi-hopeful that they could get maybe not California out um, and they get access to the Pacific, which would then give them a trade route at that time to ship some stuff, bring some stuff in um, to help make money. So um, so they saw an, an opportunity there. Um, and there was some Confederate love out there. So I believe Tucson, Arizona um, had people who sympathized with the Confederates. You had a lot of people who moved from the south in Cal- uh, Colorado that settled in. Um, so there were some areas where they had some ties to the South, and there were some people sympathetic of it. Real quick, just to clarify, um, people moved from Colorado. Um, that does not border Mexico. I don't know if uh, you <laughs> saw the news or not, but they moved south into present-day Arizona, which does border Mexico. Colorado does not. Sorry, had to do it. No, yeah, good, good Trump blunder earlier today. I think you saw New Mexico on the map and just thought, whoa, that's weird. I didn't know Mexico was – why are they oh calling it new? We, we gave him a new one? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to know what else he did. What what did he, he do just said he, he, he claimed that uh, – he said, we're building the wall. We're building it in Texas. We're building it in Colorado. And uh, I don't know if anybody pointed out that Colorado – well, somebody – one of their senators pointed out that Colorado does not border Mexico. It does border New Mexico. Um, but, yes, yeah, so there – yeah, no wall in Colorado. Good. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's good because you know why those pes- pesky, uh, pesky, you know, pesky Utahns, yes. Utahns, Jeez. trying to get into Colorado. Jeez. Well, in his eyes, New Mexico, uh, they didn't vote for him, so maybe he just views that as part of Mexico now. So that it didn't. True. New Mexico didn't go Trump, did it? Mm-mm. Okay, yeah. Neither, I don't think Colorado did either. No, I believe no. you're right on that too. Um. Another thing that's kind of fascinating about the Far West, uh, the Union had a lot of troops, out, or maybe not a lot, but several of the famous Civil War generals have California connections, mm-hmm. um, you know, specifically Grant, which we've talked about, um, I think, in our Grant episode. So when the Civil War starts, a lot of these guys are coming back uh, to fill the ranks for not only the Union, but the South as well. So kind of leaving it pretty barren and not really that well uh, occupied from a military standpoint. So the South saw an opportunity to go out there. Um, They actually claimed the territory of Arizona, um, which actually would make up today's New Mexico and Arizona combined together. So they claimed it for them. um, Part of creating, you know, gaining more area, probably to spread slavery and to gain access to that Pacific. So there were Union troops out there. Um, So the first kind of skirmish you kind of have is a thousand miles south of Albuquerque. Um, You had the Confederates. Uh, basically kind of occupy that area, and they're looking to take over Fort Union, which will be kind of the biggest battle in this far west theater. So you have Colorado troops come south to support the Union troops at Fort Union, and that's kind of where you have this first major far west battle, the Battle of Glorieta Pass. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're looking at about 1,300 Union soldiers, 1,300 Confederacy. I think the Confederacy had a little bit more. Uh, from the South's perspective, they're hoping to gain a southern claim in Arizona, control the Santa Fe Trail. That'll give them access to gold and silver. The Union is just to defend what they have. So the Union ends up trying to surprise attack uh, March 25th. Um, at about 8 a.m., Union captures 30 southern scouts who are in the area. 600 Confederates are then are going to meet Union troops and battle. So they kind of have a little bit of a skirmish. Um, and they forced the Confederates to withdraw that day. And they're a little too cautious, um, and they just take too long, and it's basically called off because of darkness. 
So that March 25th, you have the Union ends up an upper hand. So we're looking at about 150 Confederate losses, about 25 Union losses. Next couple of days, kind of just, you know, burying the dead, preparing for another attack. March 28th, the Confederates decide to attack. Um, the Union is well aware it's happening. They have some spies out there um, who find out about this. And it's kind of a brutal fighting. End of the day, the Union is kind of forced to give up the land. However, there is a New Mexican soldier, Manuel Chavez. He knew the lay of the land. And he takes some Colorado volunteers commanded by uh, Major Shivington, who will play a role in the Indian Wars. Um, and basically, they go around back. They're able to find the Confederate supply. They burn them all. So they basically have lost their supply, their supply routes being threatened, and they're pretty much forced to retreat. A lot of people kind of refer to this Gettysburg of the West. Um, I don't know if that's <laughs> wow. quite accurate. Wow. <laughs> but I did see that in several different places. Um, but it pretty much kind of squashes any major um, opportunity that the so- South maybe really saw of gaining access to the far West. It, so from this standpoint, they're forced to drop off and the Union's eventually able to, you know, get the ground um, and kind of control the area. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Mary. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned it as being the Gettysburg of the West because there was this tweet, I think it was like three or four weeks ago that I got just kind of tagged in and it was a book about this battle and the picture on the front cover was Chamberlain at Little Round Top. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, it was... The tweet was like, something's not right here. And I retweeted it and basically said the same thing. I'm like, something's wrong with this picture. It was like, it said Gettysburg of the West. And then there's this painting um, by like of Chamberlain, you know, fighting at Little Round Top, you know, sword in hand. It's a very famous painting that was on the front cover of this book. Uh, actually, Chamberlain fought out in this one, too. No, I'm just joking. He did. Oh, not. two places at once. <laughs> Now, the other interesting thing that I'm noticing is just, like, the numbers. like Yeah. And I think that's probably why this theater, like, of the war doesn't get the same attention as maybe they, the battles aren't seen is as significant. Because when you look at something like Shiloh, where there's um, a total of 80,000 troops, you know, 40,000 Confederates and about 40,000 union actually the union might have had a little bit more than they did but still like the numbers are just when i saw these numbers i just thought that that's you know seems just kind of odd compared to what we're looking at in the eastern theater and then you know like the western theater of the war yeah and just to take how small those numbers are and how they secure this large chunk of land Mm -hmm. almost too it's kind of fascinating um, but yeah, I totally agree. Boys, you got anything to add in before I move on? No, I'm just thinking like what they had to be like to get those orders. Like, you know, you volunteer to fight for a union or, to, you know, fight for, you know, the Confederacy or your right to own a people or for your state or however it was viewed there. And like, all right, we're going to send you to Arizona. Yeah. And you know, you know, I, I, I'm sure most, many were like, Arizona, Virginia? Is this a Arizona? Is this a creek in Tennessee? No, that's, yep. no, it's actually a territory. That's oh, you know, if you if you hit the Pacific Ocean, you've gone too far. So just <laughs> yeah. like a little bit before that, and and there you are. 
So yeah, and there were California units that served in the far, you know, in the Eastern Theater and everything too. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, in case people didn't know that, yeah, uh, or maybe you're happy because you're not in the, you don't. Yeah, have to yeah. Or can you imagine getting wounded or killed out there? You're like, oh god, like you know, <laughs> twenty thousand casualties here. But man, I'm in Arizona. You know, it's nice okay. and warm. <laughs> nice dry uh, heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. No, yeah, it's not a lot of action. (laughs) So then this kind of where Arizona ties in. So to guard the far flank of the Confederate forces in New Mexico, they send some troops out to Tucson, Arizona. Uh, Tucson, Arizona, that's pretty close to actual the border between Mexico and Arizona. So um, and it is kind of the western part of the state. So that's pretty far out there. Um, there will be four federal forts in Arizona that are abandoned just because there's not enough manpower. Uh, like I said, a lot of the troops have gone um, east for the actual Civil War, um, you know, east of the Mississippi. So Confederates kind of start taking these up. And then eventually you do get a unit that comes out of California with about 2,000 Union soldiers. And they're going to start to move east to kind of, you know, occupy and secure that area as well. So what you end up happening is you get some Confederates, um, and they will actually end up being dressed as ranchers. And Union soldiers will come across them uh, at Picacho Pass, um, and they capture them. So they know that there's Union troops on their way to the Tucson area. Um, And this is going to mark the most Western battlefield in the Civil War. And it's at Picacho Pass, and it takes place April 15th, 1862. Now, listen to these numbers. For the Union, you had a giant 13 (laughs) soldiers versus a Confederate 10. There will be nine casualties. So if we're talking about a casualty rate, this is probably one of the most deadliest battles. (laughs) <laughs> During the Civil War. I just want to throw that out. That is well over 50% on a casualty rate there. You will have three three unlucky dudes, man, die at this battle. Three are wounded and three are captured. So if we're talking about luck, man. Yeah, that's, imagine you think you're set, set out there and you're like, oh, yeah, this is fine. So the battle is actually about, to give you a little bit more context, about 80 miles uh, from Yuma, Arizona. Um, so you got Lieutenant James Barrett. Um, he meets the Confederate Rangers um, there. And this is about 50 miles northwest of Tucson, just trying to give you a location. And Barrett basically um, was just dumb. He was just stupid. Uh, if you would have thought about strategy, kind of thought about how they were laid out, he could have probably forced them out with minimal casualties, maybe none. Um, but he attacks right away in this ensuing gunfight that takes place. He actually dies. Um, they fight for about an hour. Eventually, the uh, the Union troops retreat. Um, so this kind of ruins any chance to surpri- surprise the Confederates in Tucson. Um and all this was fought for pretty much nothing, I guess, from a Union standpoint. Because the Confederates, once the New Mexico battle goes away, it does. They're just not going to have the supplies, the resources. They're too far away. Um, and they'll just withdraw out of Tucson and eventually kind of just leave the area. Now, I can say I've had the honor 
of going to the westernmost Civil War battlefield. And I could tell you, there's really nothing there. <laughs> I think I, I have seen pictures of it before. It's like, don't expect Gettysburg. Yeah, and it's like a park. You drive in. I, I think it's a state park there. Uh, and you can do some hiking. There's a good, decent hike, actually. We did some hiking out there. I went out there with, like, uh, Kira was with me, and we met my aunt and uncle. Uh, my aunt and her boyfriend. Um, you know, screw that ex-uncle of mine. But anyways, <laughs> uh, uh, different episode. Um, so you couldn't get, like, right where it took place, but you can kind of see where it's at um, at the state park. And they actually do reenactments out there. Um, and they get a pretty good attendance and reenactors out there, which I think that would be kind of cool, actually, to go see. But I've been there. If you're like, oh, God, i got to get there, I would say take care of Gettysburg, take care of Shiloh, you know, Chickamauga. Check those off the list before you head out west um, and knock that out. Next time we drive out there, though, and if it's during and I have enough time, I want to stop in New Mexico, though, um, to see that battlefield. So just kind of something interesting. Now, going to Lincoln, Lincoln will officially sign the bill that separates New Mexico from Arizona, and that's done in 1863. So he kind of is the one who gives Arizona its present-day boundaries to a degree, which is kind of interesting. That's how I got kind of sucked down this rabbit hole. 1830, October, Halloween, basically, um, of 1864, Nevada became a state, and this became important to Lincoln because of the election and ratifying the 13th Amendment. So we talked about this on the show. For a long time there, he was very worried that he might not have the votes to win the election. So, And this provided him three electoral votes. I mean, for it to come down to this was probably pretty slim. So how big of an influence was that on him making or getting its statehood? Probably could be debated. Uh, but another thing, too, he kept running into deadlock uh, with the 13th Amendment, which... All of us who've watched Lincoln kind of understand. So um, there's some belief that those kind of things influenced him making sure that it got statehood. Um, And I believe that was a little bit disputed, too, going into that. So at the end of the day, maybe not the most important battles, but there were people who sacrificed their lives in the Far West. Mm -hmm. The Far West was important from an economic standpoint for the Union. Um, So that's just kind of the... You now know a little bit more about the westernmost battlefield, or maybe a little less, depending on what you knew. I, I think it's a really important um, thing to talk about because it is to do with the Civil War. Um, and thank you for the research you did for it, Nick. It was excellent. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. Um, I have to say, if I was ever yeah, in- real quick, my I was pulling stuff from where did I get it? Uh, I found an article, an op-ed in Denver Post that kind of got me started by Ed Quillen. Um, and then the battlefields.org has stuff. Glorida Pass is a national park, uh, where history.org talks about Nevada statehood. So, sorry, you go ahead. No, that's, I was going to say, if I'm ever out in this area, I definitely would go visit these places because that's just the level of Civil War nerd that I am. I like to see as many battlefields as I can, like big or small. Um, but yeah, again, the shocking thing for me is just like, the number of troops compared to what it was um, in the Eastern theater. And then seems weird saying the Western theater. Um, 
But both those areas had very, very large battles with, with lots of troops in it. And definitely, too, like the connection to Lincoln with securing, you know, those places just before the um, the election. As well as like ratifying the 13th Amendment, too. I think those are both very important points to make um, about this area of the United States. Well, you just think about, too, the settling of that area. Mm-hmm. Lincoln had such an impact on that. I mean, the Railway Act, Homestead Act passed during his presidency. So I know we talked about this before. Sorry, boys, cut you off. No, and I think it's important. You know, sometimes places and events are important because they're not important, if that makes sense. Because, like, you know, it could have been a very important part of the wars, you know, for resources, gold, silver, like you mentioned. Now, and the fact that it kind of wasn't that important, you know, is, makes it in a way important because um, it could have it could have blown up. It could have been uh, something where, um, you know, had there been um, a little bit more there, I guess, mm-hmm. that could have really had an impact on the war, especially, you know, there's probably a little bit of the strategy of, you know, trying to stretch the Confederacy as thin as possible. So even if there's not territory to be won, if they could have somehow made that ground a little bit more desirable where the the South would have had to spend resources, that, that could have been a victory in and of mm-hmm. itself. So uh, it didn't, it didn't get to that point, but I, you know, perhaps it could have. And the fact that there were skirmishes out there, I think indicate that there was thought for that. And, you know, the fact that the Confederates even bothered to send anyone out there, um, is telling too that maybe they thought, well, there's a possibility there might be something here. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think it's important and it's unimportance, uh, ultimately too. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good point. Especially, you know, 1861, they had to be thinking that they're, you know, they basically claim Arizona as part of like yeah. the Confederacy. Well, and then, you know, at that point they're not dragged into this huge war that we, you know, think of when we think of the civil war yeah. too. So, and this area was area that they've been trying to claim for slavery too. Um, afterwards, it was uh, it's really you know part of the the occupation of this land or the gaining of this land after the Mexican American War. I mean, is one of your dominoes that fall leading to the Civil War? Yeah, well, and I think Mexico is is a key piece to this whole thing. Um, had Mexico come into play really in any capacity, that area all of a sudden becomes super important. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, the, the Confederacy lobbied hard to get the Mexicans to side with them, tried to play up the benefit that they would get to a Southern victory for their cotton and, you know, the agricultural exports. And, you know, they really, really tried to get Mexico to formally uh, recognize them as a country and then perhaps even fight on their behalf. So had that happened, Arizona, New Mexico, and, and Southern California just became arguably the most important ground Mm -hmm. uh, other than maybe outside of Washington, DC, uh, the Mississippi river becomes less important maybe because control of the Gulf of Mexico and, you know, is Mm -hmm. perhaps, you know, firmly in Southern hands and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that was definitely a possibility and it would have been really fascinating how that may have shaken out if all of a sudden you had to prevent an invading Mexican army somehow, um, you know, cause they, 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 um, probably wouldn't have come a whole may I don't know, maybe they would have come on sea by sea, I don't know, but um 
of course, Mexico didn't become involved, but that is one area that had to be at least a consideration uh, when planning on having at least some military presence that far away mm. from where most of the action was. Yeah, that's a fascinating what if if Mexico did enter the war. Yeah, that yeah. that that is really yeah that just made me really think like wow that would have been really interesting because they had that whole Gulf of Mexico there. Agreed. Yeah. So. That's pretty much the far west. What's next? That was that was excellent, Nick. Thank you again for that. For that research, it was very interesting. That is, as I said, that's an area of the Civil War that I I've never studied that area because it's not. Sadly, it's not. It's not very well known. But now I'm quite intrigued to learn a little bit more about it. Um, so I think we're moving on to our weekly segments. So we have our of the people by the people. So this one comes from TR historical enterprises who, um, actually he's probably going to be a guest on our show at some point. Um, he has a like really cool history geek store, um, where he does sell like Abraham Lincoln related items and other American history and all that. Um, anyway, he posted this on our real splitter Facebook page on Monday and he just said, love this commercial, wanted to share with Rail Splitter Nation, and it's a Diet Mountain Dew commercial featuring Abraham Lincoln. You can find it on YouTube. Um, I'll tweet it out on the Rail Splitter uh, account as well. But it starts off with the Lincoln-Douglas debates, and then Lincoln like starts getting really angry, and like he tears off his shirt, and he's throwing people around in it. And it's pretty – it's actually really hilarious, but um, I just like – that was a really awesome thing to to post. So thank you, TR Historical, for that one. That one made my day. Yeah. And if you're on our Facebook page, it's on there. So yeah. you can click on it. So uh, mine is going to come from the Facebook page as well. Jim Slattery shared a post from Washington National Cathedral. Um, and Lincoln and me are ch- cheering for the same team uh, to win the World Series, which is the Washington Nationals. Um, so kind of a great story, uh, even though we all know Lincoln's a Cubs fan at heart. Um, so, but you know, he also likes to see people, uh, you know, get out of and have some good luck go their way. So cheering for the nationals, national fans as a Cubs fan, I know how you feel, um, probably times 10. Um, but yeah, hopefully they win. Um, I don't know what the score is right now. Last time I checked, it was tied. So go nationals. Yeah, I uh, I always have had a soft spot for the Nationals as well because my favorite player as a kid was Andre Dawson, who played for the Montreal Expos. And, of course, that organization became the Washington Nationals. Um, and now they're in the World Series. So hopefully, uh, I don't know if the Hawk Dawson is cares at all. But uh, anyway, it's kind of cool to see the old Expos in the current world series. I guess Dude, I should love- technically cheer for the nationals because they're a former Canadian team, but baseball's dead to me right now. <laughs> well, yeah, at least you guys made, did you make the playoffs? No. Uh-huh. <laughs> no. Out of the softest division in baseball. <laughs> I mean, they're really, I mean, come on. How did the twins won a hundred games? It was a bad year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we know how you feel, actually. Yeah, I know. <laughs> At least the Cardinals got their ass kicked by the Nationals. So, um, 
Sorry to all you Cardinals. No, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, no, not at all. No, not, not at all. <laughs> no, I'm all about football right now. Go Buckeyes, go Pack, and go Browns. I disagree on all three counts. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Why? I hate you. Wow. Thanks. That was a little harsh. But I do hate <laughs> the Pack. Yeah. Yeah, me too. But that's a that's a Chicago thing. Um. I don't. I, I apologize. I was ill prepared this week. I do not have a, of the people, but keep tweeting at us, please, uh, and I'll mention you next week. I promise. <laughs> Somebody. However, you got this week in Lincoln. You said though, right? If that's all right. I, um, yes. And it's kind of it's kind of a, a throwback to not really this week, but many many weeks ago. But um, the the Office is one of my favorite shows of all time, and it seems like it's making this like huge comeback. Not comeback, but it basically went on Netflix and like, like um, the woman who cuts my hair was a former, like I, I had her in class as a student and I coached her for uh, when she played soccer. So she's quite a bit younger than I am, and she's like, "Oh my god, I'm so into the Office! Like it's this brand new thing, and it's like this trendy thing, which I get a kick out of." Because do the high school kids talk about a lot in class too? Yeah, which is mind boggling to me. It's like it's this had this huge resurgence, and and I remember like that's the last show that I like had to remember like, Oh, it's Thursday night. I got to watch the office. Like I actually watched it when it was on television and there were like these weird advertisements in between scenes. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. And if like, you didn't get to your TV by seven, like you missed part of it. It was a different time. But anyway, um, I was revisiting the office, just kind of following this trend. There's a new podcast, um, with, um, Angela and uh, Jenna Fisher, who plays Pam, where they break down each episode. Well, in the first two episodes, the American version of The Office, there are classic Michael Scott lines about Abraham Lincoln. So I want uh, we'll combine them into one this week in Lincoln because I think it's definitely a Lincoln kind of thrown into a pop culture thing, kind of you know capitalizing on this resurgence of The Office. The first one from the very First episode, the pilot episode, uh, season one, episode one of The Office. Michael Scott uh, is asked, who is his hero? And he says, people I respect, uh, heroes of mine would be Bob Hope, uh, Abraham Lincoln, definitely, Bono, and probably God would be the fourth one. <laughs> be the fourth one. Um, and I just think all those people helped the world in so many ways, and it's um, – really beyond words it's incalculable (laughs) so anyway uh michael scott's heroes bob hope bono abraham lincoln and probably god would be the fourth one (laughs) (laughs) i think that's hilarious especially if you know michael scott and then of course the very famous abraham lincoln line from the office from episode two season one which is diversity day um when he's trying to uh give a conversation about racism michael scott said um, something along the lines of, um, like Abraham Lincoln once said, if you are a racist, I will attack you with the North. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Scott, so. a living legend. I have yes. to admit I'd never seen The Office before. Oh, man. It's a good watch. You should watch it. Yeah, I know. I should probably get It is amazing. Um, I just actually have one more person to give a shout out to. Uh, David J. Kent is a very frequent poster on our Real Splitter Facebook page. He was also a very wonderful guest that we had um, almost well over a year ago. We actually did his book as the uh, 
the first book in the Real Splitter Book Club, which is called Abraham Lincoln, The Man Who Saved America. It is um, a very good book. Anyway, he's been posting reports that he's like basically done like film them on the Lincoln-Douglas debates. So I encourage all of our listeners to check those out if you want to learn more about those debates. They're really excellent reports that he does. Um, He's very active in the Lincoln community as well. Um, So I just wanted to give a shout out for him for for taking the time to do that. And he actually recently reposted um, his blog post that he wrote about my interview and Abraham Lincoln on the Rail Splitter podcast. So yeah, I saw that. That was cool. That, that was really awesome. So so thank you, David, for for that, and thank you to everyone who posts on our Rail Splitter Facebook page and who interacts with interacts with us on Twitter, and most of all, who listens to the podcast. To uh, you guys are all awesome, and we really appreciate all your support. Indeed, we do. So I think that's all for this week. Do you guys have anything to add? No, thanks. Thanks, Nick, for doing the heavy lifting on uh, today's episode. Um, you can go ahead and take your trip to Arizona out of the rail splitter, the vast rail splitter bank <laughs> account to fund your travels and your research. <laughs> it's not real, folks. It's yeah, not real. No, no, there is, there is none. <laughs> Unless we sold about 15,000 T-shirts in the last week. Yeah. I don't think that's accurate. There's nothing there. But help us get there. So yes. make sure to visit our store. Um, yeah, buy Teespring. yourself some rail splitter gear. You right. can find us on Teespring if you want to get some rail splitter swag. Yeah, if you want some rail split nation cred. Street cred, that is. That needs to be on our next t-shirt, rail split nation. Oh, nice. I like that. That, that needs to be on a shirt. How do you spell nation? Oh... Just I don't know. Dude, you're the like doctor. You, you invented uh, it. I don't have a doctorate in spelling. <laughs> we'll have to, okay, I thought qu- this is all encompassing, this doctorate. Okay. Yes, question uh, yes, to ra- question surgery. to our rail splitters. How would you spell rail split niche? Yeah. Tweet at us, really, put it on the Facebook page. This is a page. fairly important question. It's a very, very important question. So please tell us, how would you spell rail split niche? Anyway, if that's everything from you guys, um, yeah. I think we can wrap up now. So anyway, thank you for joining us all. Keep walking the world with malice toward none and with charity for all. And we will see you again soon.